pray. Holy God, we come before you open to your voice, open to the things that you will say to us, open even to things uh, that we never thought of before. So we ask that you would speak to us and we promise to listen for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my, uh, my wee man, uh, Isaac, he's four. Uh, he's in Marilyn Nursery. And uh, he was talking for ages about, hey, dude, hey, dude, hey, dude. And we thought he was becoming really cool and all. But it turns out he just can't say Jude. Okay? <laughs> so he's got a wee person in his class called Jude. So I started to play him uh, Hey Jude by the Beatles and just kept on going, come on, son, Hey Jude, Jude, come on, Jude, and all that sort of stuff. But I was showing it one day and Eliza and Isaac saw the Beatles phenomenon for the first time on YouTube. Who, who loved the Beatles here? Like, maybe you still can love them. Okay, and Eliza was saying, why are all the women so excited, Daddy? And I said, I, I don't know, love. I actually don't know, kind of thing. But music is definitely something that can move us, isn't it? I mean, I was amazed last night. Who watches The Masked Singer? Oh, my goodness. What a load of tosh. Uh, uh, Davina McCall is one of the judges of this show, right? And, and all that. Well, I don't know if you call them judges. Are they judges? I don't know what they are. But she's one of the people. And she was actually crying, okay, as a rhino sang a love song. Okay, someone dressed as a rhino. I just thought, it's so ridiculous. Um, but folks, I, I don't know if, you've, if, you, if you, you, hopefully you'll know this face, okay? If we move to the next slide, sorry. Uh, hopefully you'll know this wee face. We're going, okay? Good job. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, there we go. Okay, it's hard to see there. But obviously that is Johann Sebastian Bach, okay? And he was never on The Masked Singer, but, you know, he, he, was, he was still quite big. Um, he served as the music director for St. Thomas's Church in Leipzig for much of his career, He's known as one of the most influential musicians the world and the church has ever known. Some of the most significant compositions of the Reformation period were written by Bach. Uh, When he, uh, so so this is Bach, and who who likes Bach? Okay, if you didn't like the Beatles, who likes Bach? Okay, there's quite a few people. We've got some sophisticated people among us. But here is it's very encouraging to anybody who's a musician and for our team and all that today, right? Even Bach, okay got hammered because some people didn't like his music, all right? Even Johann Sebastian Bach. And, you know, if you read some of the things written about him, he, had, he was criticized from inside the church and outside the church. And really, he died unappreciated. And this is what, uh, actually, the people who were in his church actually said in Leipzig. They said, if Bach continues to play in this way, the organ will be ruined in two years or most of the congregation will be deaf. Okay, so even even if you're Johann Sebastian Bach, you'll have to deal with some criticism if you dare to lead the people of God in worship. But Bach uh, was a was a fascinating character. Um, he, he obviously uh, he, he wrote his initials on things that he wrote. But when he began to write a new song, he would write the the letters JJ at the beginning. Before he wrote anything else, he would write the letters JJ. And this is the Latin phrase, and I'm going to butcher this, Yesu Yuva, which means Jesus help. Okay? Before he wrote a song, he wrote, Jesus help. Help me as I write this song. 
And at the end of it, and I think many Maurice will know this one, but he, he wrote the letters SDG. So Jesus help at the start. Anyone know what SDG stands for? Any ideas? Okay. Solio uh, Dio Gloria, or glory to God alone. That's what he wrote. So Jesus help at the start. Please help me to write something meaningful for the kingdom. And at the end, uh, glory to God. Glory to God. And that was his heart's desire. And if we move to the next slide, you see there what, what uh, Bach's uh, aim was as a songwriter. To write to the glory of God. And listen to this. For the pious awake, sorry, for the awakening of pious devotion in the hearts of Christ's people. He, he wrote to awaken devotion. To awaken love as we sing. You know, we've already sung here about a good, good Father, about a holy God. Um, the, the point of, of worship, the point of those songs being written was to awaken love in you. You know, uh, we have been talking a lot about the Asbury Revival uh, and this thing that's happening in Kentucky where, where thousands of people worshipped for about three weeks solid. Um, and it spread out to lots of other places and lots of the university campuses. And it was all sparked, in a sense, by a, a little uh, sort of unknown preacher called Zach something. Uh, and his final words before he led into prayer was uh, something very basic about just wanting people to love the Lord Jesus more. And he said, I want to put this on you like an itchy sweater. I don't know if anyone's got one of those on right now. But I want you that you would that you would not be comfortable until you loved him more. Okay? Well, that's what Bach wanted to do as well. He wanted to awaken love within us and glorify God. I wonder, are we in that place of growing in an awakening love for Jesus? Uh, Moses uh, in Exodus 15 sings a song. And this is the first song in the whole Bible in Exodus 15. The very, very, very first song. And it's really, a, a, in a sense, a spontaneous song, we imagine, that he that just pours out of him. He's actually credited with three songs recorded in Scripture. There's one in Deuteronomy 32. There's also Psalm 90. But we're going to focus on Exodus 15. And if we move to the next slide, let's just remember the context of, of how he's writing. Okay, so this is just the end of Exodus 14. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, all right? So the context is that they're just through the Red Sea. They're just out the other end. They just see the waters crushing the Egyptians and their enemies vanquished. And suddenly they begin, in that context, to sing a song. And that's what we're going to think about today. If we move to the next slide. The first uh, thing that I want to speak about is sound people, a sound God, and an endless 
Hallelujah. All right, so the first thing is a sound people. Because a wonderful thing happens here. The children of Israel start to sing. All the things they know about God and have experienced about God find their voice in a song. And they have a new song, as the Bible puts it, a new song. Uh, all the things we know about God, what do you think we use, what word do we use for that? Theology. All right? Now, all of us are theologians because theology just means about God. So if you know something about God, you're a theologian. If you think something about God, you're a theologian. So their theology turns into another word, doxology. That's worship. Okay? Their theology turns into doxology. Their experience finds its voice in exaltation. It's wonderful. And then the women start to dance. Okay? We're going to encourage that this morning, that the women would start to dance. He's okay with that, everybody? Yeah? Uh, with tambourines. We're not so much encouraging that. Okay? But they lift up these things called timbrels and they start to dance. What a wonderful thing. Uh, I've used it many times, but Augustine of Hippo, the great defender of the faith, says the Christian should be an alleluia from head to toe. Are you an alleluia from head to toe? Christians need to be, somebody once said, built from the sound up. We need to be sound Christians who worship the Lord. But sadly, Israel grumble a lot more than they glorify uh, in the whole of Exodus. In fact, if you think about it, who other than these children of Israel saw ten incredible plagues that never touched them? Okay? Who other than the children of Israel got to walk through this incredible miracle of the sea opening? Who other than Israel got the experience of of bread falling from the sky, of water coming from a rock, of being bitten by snakes and simply looking at a brass statue of a snake that, that took away this deadly poison? Who else experienced this? But let me ask you a question. How many times do you think they worship in the whole story of the Exodus? How many times? Once. Only once. God does 20 miracles that shake the whole world for every one time that they worship. They're so much more likely, these people, to grumble than to glorify. God does all of this incredible work on their behalf, and they never give him worship bar one time, and they have to be led to do it by their leaders, Moses and Miriam. You know, just to give you a few examples, at the edge of the... Red Sea, they asked the question, why have you brought us out here to die, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? When they come up against the bitter waters of Marah that we just heard Anne read to us, we hear that they moan and say, what are we to drink? Uh, In chapter 16, verse 2, they say, what a pity we didn't die in Egypt. We had pots of meat and plenty of bread. When they get manna but start to get a bit tired of it, they say, back in Egypt we had garlic, onions and leeks. They just complain and complain and complain. And so rarely do they praise and praise and praise. So rarely do they sing. I wonder 
Are you a, a worshipper or a Victor Meldry? <laughs> Which are you? Do you come into Dollingstown on Sunday morning and go, I don't believe it! I don't like that song. Or, well, what are you? I, I love what the famous Benjamin Disraeli said. He met a lot of people, obviously, and Benjamin Disraeli, he said that when I meet a man whose name I can't remember, has anyone been in this place of meeting somebody whose name they can't remember? Well, here's a way example. Here, here's what you do. If you're a person who meets people and can't remember their name, this is Benjamin Disraeli's advice. He says, I give myself two minutes to try and remember. And if it's a hopeless case, I always ask them, how is the old complaint? And he says, they start to talk and I just sit and listen. Okay? Because everybody loves an aisle complaint, don't they? That's what he says. If you can't remember their name, just go, how is the old complaint? They'll, they'll talk on, you'll soon work it out. Okay? Now, I don't do that. I wouldn't have announced it if that was my plan. Okay? But how is the old complaint? Because you see, we love, don't we? Or a lot of people love to moan. I think probably uh, we're good at saying. We're probably better at saying sometimes than we are at singing. Better at complaining than praising. Here's my question. Are you a, a singer who sometimes sighs? Or are you a sire who sometimes sings? <laughs> well, what is, the, what is the, the defining sound of your life? Is it moaning? Or is it worshipping? I ask myself that question as well. Are, are you more Victor Meldrew or more King David the worshipper? Are you a, a, a praiser who sometimes complains or are you a complainer who maybe praises at Christmas and Easter or something like that? A question for us all. John Wesley, uh, he says this in his, his writings about how we should sing. He says, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you're half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. In other words, uh, you know, he was saying to them, why were you able to sing in the pubs, but now that you're a Christian, you can't sing in the church? Sing lustily. Be no more afraid of your voice now than you were when you were singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot or whatever. Okay? Sing it. Loudly. Go for it. We were released from Egypt to sing. The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis says that Satan loves noise. And this is a very noisy world we're in. But he hates two sounds. The sound of silence and the sound of singing. For in the sound of silence we study God's word. And in singing we celebrate it. In our services there should be the sound of silence. And the sound of singing. To study and to celebrate. You know what Martin Luther said? great reformer, he said, the devil hates a singing Christian. He loves a sang one. He loves a moaning one. But he hates a singing one because the Christian is a hallelujah from head to toe. Joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, that's the sound Christian. Are we a sound Christian? 
And secondly, we'll talk about a sound God. A sound God. In Northern Ireland, you know, we talk a lot about people being sound, don't we? Uh, somebody asked me just yesterday about somebody and they said, is he sound? Okay. Now, uh, that's a very important question. I was co- they were talking about Cosman. I said, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a very important question because, you know, right theology is very important. Right theology is very important. But isn't it sad when somebody's got all the right theology but no joy? And unfortunately, you know, some, sometimes the bigger the Bible doesn't always mean the bigger the joy, does it? Because there's people walking about with big Bibles and big frowns, aren't there? Okay, don't be one of those, please. Okay, but sound is very important. The sound that comes out of us, is it gossip, is it negativity, is it complaining, or is it singing? Is it apathy, or is it appreciation for what God has done? Because we worship a a God worth praising. Uh, There's only one note of worship in the whole Exodus. And it mentions some reasons why we should worship. But actually, Matt Redman, in his song, 10,000 Reasons, gives us a whole lot more, doesn't he? 10,000 reasons for my heart to praise. Can you think of a reason to praise God? Can you think of one this morning? A reason to praise God. In this song, in Exodus 15, it gives a few reasons. It says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. He's a God who saves. There's a good reason for you to praise God this morning. If you're saved, because redeemed people sing. And if you don't have a desire to sing, it's important that we investigate, have we a reason to sing? Have we a reason to sing? Uh, Verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Here's another reason to to praise He's a personal God. And if you don't feel like praising him, if you've never felt like praising him, maybe he's not your strength and your song. Maybe he has not become your salvation. He's a personal God. Moses and the people were able to say, he's my strength. He's my song. He's become my salvation. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Goes on to speak about, uh, later on, about the fathers and how uh, he's been faithful to the fathers. He's a promise-keeping God. He's a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior. He, he keeps us safe, as the song says, till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. And we could go through the whole song. Reasons to sing. Reasons to worship. A worthy God. A sound God. But there's an even deeper way that God's a sound God because one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible, Zephaniah 3.17, says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He rejoices over you with gladness. He sings over you with gladness. He's a singing God. He will quieten you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, there's a reason why a mother never has to be taught to sing a lullaby or a lover to sing a love song. Because we are made in the image of a singing God, a sound God. 
You know, I love, uh, if we move to the next slide here, it's a little bit of a different translation. You can balance it up if you want. But God rejoices when one singer, sorry, one sinner repents. God sings when one uh, sinner repents. It says the, there's joy in the presence of the angels. God's in the presence of the angels. And he sings and rejoices and is a party in heaven when one comes to faith. We have a singing God. In a sense, when we sing, we're singing a duet with a God he sings over us. We're singing a duet with him. It's terrible when somebody's left hanging, isn't it? You know, when, when I say, come on, Lee, we're going to sing, and he, he doesn't sing. Wouldn't it be terrible if God was left hanging as he sings over us, but we refuse to sing with him? He's singing because he loves you. He's rejoicing over you. What about you? Do you rejoice over him? Do you love him? Have you ever said the phrase, it's nothing to make a song and dance over? Is God worth making a song and dance over today? Is he worth it? Thirdly and finally, are we sound Christians? Do we make a sound for him? We worship a sound God. Thirdly and finally, we want to sing an endless hallelujah. It's a great song actually called Endless Hallelujah. Has anyone heard it? Um, it's just a beautiful song um, by a girl, I can't say her name, Brooke Ligger something, isn't that? Yeah, Endless Hallelujah. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but the very first song in the Bible, Exodus 15, the song of Moses. The very last song in the Bible, Revelation 15, the song of Moses. First and last. Exodus 15, Revelation 15. Don't put too much on that. We stuck the chapter headings in, okay, but... Exodus 15, Revelation 15. One, the song of Moses. The other, the song of Moses. Except there's something added in Revelation 15 because they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. They sing both. They've added a a bridge or whatever we do nowadays. Added a bridge to it. Sung in heaven. Here's the question. How do we sing between renditions? The first and the last song. How do we sing between the songs of Moses and of the Lamb? Apparently, well, first of all, here's my answer. We need to sing. We need to sing. Uh, There was a wee survey done, and uh, 40% of churchgoers believe that singing in church is for the singers. Okay? People who can sing, let them sing. But the relevant question is not, do you have a voice? But do you have a song? Okay. Who here can't sing? Who here cannot sing? Ah, listen, you can. Okay, you just can't do it well. <laughs> you can sing. But the question isn't, do you have a, can you sing? The question is, do you have a song? I love what a guy called D. James Kennedy said. He's an American pastor from yesteryear. 
He says, most people see the church as a drama. Okay, we're acting out something here. The minister is the chief actor. God's the prompter. And the congregation are the critics. Do you get it? Okay. But that, that's not it at all. Okay. The congregation, you are the chief actors in this drama of worship. I'm just the prompter. God's the critic. See that? God's the critic. We're not the critics, okay? No point in us moaning about it, okay? Because the critic, the only one who we're waiting for his chair to turn around like that, what do you call it, the voice, okay? The only chair you need to see turn around is God. Does it, does it make the Lord turn around and say, yes, I'm going to sing with that? I'm going to sing with that? That's the key question. God's the critic. Do you know, the Bible contains 400 references to singing. There are 50 direct commands to sing. What is it it called if you don't obey a command in the Bible? Sorry? If you don't obey a command in the Bible, what do we call that? Sin. Okay, so here's your choice. Singing or sinning. (laughs) We need to be singers. It's the natural noise of a Christian that we sing. The longest book in the Bible is the Psalms, a songbook. The opening four verses of Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory amongst the nations, his marvelous works amongst all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Folks, we get to sing together. There's no solos in the only insight into heaven that we get, especially in the book of Revelation. There's no solos. We might sing along alone on earth. Maybe you're the only person in your family who's a Christian and you feel like you you sing alone at times. We should gather here and sing together. But in heaven, even those of us who think we can't sing will join the choir. And why do we sing? Well, back to back to the glory of God and for the awakening of past devotion in the hearts of each other. So we get to sing together we also get to sing whatever the weather. Whatever the weather. Life is going to take us through all sorts of situations. But listen, the children of Israel, on the edge of the Red Sea, on the edge of the greatest miracle of the whole Old Testament, they're moaning. It's only when they get to the other side where complete safety that they worship. Then they go down the road and the water's bitter. And they think, we've been walking for three days and the water's bitter. They start to moan again. And then they go down the road to a place called Elam, which was so good, they named a church after it. Okay? Where there were palm trees and springs, and it was glorious. They still didn't worship there, amazingly. Now listen, every one of us, we'd rather live at Elam than Mara, wouldn't we? We'd rather live in a place with palm trees than a place with bitter water. But on this journey with God, whether good or bad things that we're passing through, it's glorious when we sing. 
Psalm 84 says that even when they walk through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. Why? Because their hearts are set on worship and pilgrimage. Will you worship whatever the weather? Will you worship whatever the weather? Finally, folks, I just want to mention dancing. Now, we'll not dance this morning unless you would like to, which would be lovely, actually. But um, we see Moses sings the song, encourages all of us to sing a song. We'll, we'll sing that same song in Revelation 15. We should sing it in between. But there's also Miriam who lifts up a timbrel and starts to dance on all the women of Israel join with her. Here's a wee simple thought for you. Where did she get and where did they get the timbrels? Where did they get the timbrels? Now here's two ideas and you can decide in your own mind which of these you prefer. The first is that some people believe that the timbrel in Egypt was something that they used to shake at the Israelites. Okay? Get you over here. Okay, and shook it at them. The timbrel, it was like a, a button, you know, on the, on the, in the foyer of a hotel, you know, ding, 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 or whatever, right? But it was a shake. Okay, get you over here. Clean that up. We shook at them. And then on the night they left Egypt, they were able to take, remember they were, they were laden down with the gold and the treasures of Egypt. They just thought, I'll be having that, thank you, okay, and took it away. And that oppressive instrument then became a tool of worship. Isn't that the Christian story? Isn't that what we do? You know, the devil has us in some kind of addiction or something like that, and then we come into faith in Jesus, and then we have a testimony. And that thing that was used to, to lock us in becomes something that we use to unlock other people. What a thing. Maybe, maybe you can say, maybe that. All right, now if you think that's not convincing, this is the key though. They must have on that night, do you remember when they're, they're having their Passover meal and all that sort of stuff? And remember, they put their sandals on and they tuck their, their robes out of their belts. You've got to be ready to go, Moses told them. You've got to be ready to go because God's going to do a miracle and get you out of this place. Here's the thing. Remember, they, had, they didn't even have time to finish baking their bread. They put the dough up on their backs and they were carrying it out. Remember that? They didn't have time to put leaven in. Well, they took time to grab their timbrel. Don't forget your timbrel. Don't forget your timbrel. Okay? We're in a mad rush here. Don't forget your timbrel. You're going to need it. Because God's going to do things and you're going to need something to worship him with. Folks, here's my wee simple question to you. Do you come to church on a Sunday morning with your timbrel? Please don't take that literally. Okay? (laughs) But do you come to church on a Sunday morning ready to worship? Do you have reasons to worship enough to say, I'm going to bring something along? I'm not going to expect Lee and Pauline and Dave and Rosie to be the, the people who lift the instruments. I'm going to have my own instrument. Tune my heart to sing your praise. Do we come ready to worship? That's my question for you. Do we think he's worthy of worship? Do we think he's worthy of making a song and dance over? 
A sound Christian isn't just somebody with a big Bible. It's somebody with a big heart to worship. And the sound that comes out of their lives is not moaning, but worship. It's not apathy, but appetite for him. What have we got? Okay, very simply, uh, I've got a wee song up here. I'm going to really embarrass you, though. Not really, it's not going to be embarrassing. But um, it's the song 10,000 Reasons, okay? Can we put that up, the, the words up, please? Uh, and very simply, hopefully, you know the words of this song anyway, don't you? Here we go. Right, let's all the men stand up. Right, men, come on, all right? And women, you better be ready to bounce up in a second, all right? All right, men. Now, guys, listen, we're not singing, okay? We're not singing meaningless words here. We're singing words that are calling our own hearts and our church to be worshippers because he's worthy. And you're just glad I'm not making you dance, aren't you? <laughs> Let's just sing, all right? Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Let's go again. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. Okay, let's swap places, ladies, let's stand. Bless the Lord. the Let's all stand together. Let's hold out our hands before us to this worthy God, let's pray that our lives would be sound and that we would lift up a sound that this place would not be a place of half-dead or half-hearted singing, but it would be a place where we have replaced sinning with singing, sang with singing, ready to lift up the name of Jesus and to exalt him. Let's all sing together. I exalt thee. I of our voices. I exalt thee. I 
the band comes, let's just sing again. I exalt Thee, I exalt.